Hello, and welcome to Healing for Your Thoughts, the podcast that has the kind of conversations that help us all heal out loud rather than continue suffering in silence. I'm so glad you could join us today. Let's get into the show. The Urban Dictionary defines faking it until you make it as one, pretending to be something you are not in hopes of fitting in, joining a group, or even getting a job. It can also be depicting wealth by wearing expensive clothes and shoes, etc., that you can't actually afford. Two, using high vocab words so you can appear smart in an attempt to manipulate people into thinking you are more educated than you actually are. And finally, another definitive, more common version of this definition is faking confidence or happiness until you've reached or attained it displaying what you want to be until you become it. Some people call it manifesting. In today's society, I would call it dangerous. It seems that there are many people who would argue that there is value in this behavior, at least in the short term. But I'd argue that if we take a step back and really see ourselves in the moment of quote-unquote faking it, we would probably through objectivity, admit that this is costing us something far greater than just money, the true cost of which is immeasurable and therefore something we simply can't afford. Recently, I had the opportunity to chat with several people, mostly but not all of whom are women, and who represent and are very important to different parts of my life. The topic of discussion one's evolution to a greater sense of being and doing. These people, from whom I often receive great wisdom and insight, are all accomplished in their own right, in various ways, depending upon what your specific idea of accomplished is. Some of the folks have reached the level of full-scale self-actualization, firmly planted in who they are, whose they are, what they know, and what their life's purpose and corresponding superpower is. Others, though, are still on the climb, somewhere in between the bottom rung and being able to see the proverbial top, but not yet having cracked the code on how to get all the way there, wherever there is. What they all have in common, and there are many things, but for the purpose of this discussion, What they all have in common, aside from some measure of relationship with me, is that they have among them a story. The story of who they are, both when people are watching and when they are outside of the spotlight of life. Not that those personalities, those identities are different. They're just usually more casually relaxed versus straight-laced and serious. That story, their story is directly connected to where they are or aspire to be in life. And in speaking to them, I've come to understand that the strength in their purposed identity has in some way impacted their journey to becoming. A journey that through tests and trials, no doubt allowed them to meet themselves in ways they likely didn't consider possible, but which ultimately helped them to more authentically show up as themselves along the way of their pursuits. Our most recent conversations ran the gamut of opinions, mine and theirs, 
all surrounding this idea of being who you are and showing up as your best self in life and in business. And as we went deeper, the discussions further evolved, in some instances into the challenges one faces in figuring out who exactly they are, especially when there are competing opinions, theirs and the world to which they are exposed. We agreed that because of that loud, sometimes rude voice inside one's head, their opinion of self can be subjectively skewed one way or another to their benefit or detriment. And then for better or worse, society for its part also plays a significant role in how we show up. There can be expectations and preconceived notions that don't necessarily leave room for who we think we are because showing up as anything other than something that resembles that standard, according to the outside world, it seems to render us unacceptable at best and unworthy at the least. On the other end of that same spectrum, there is the idea of us defiantly being ourselves, whomever that may be, society be damned. Even that seems risky though, depending upon who you ask. For example, There are countless stories of women straightening their hair in lieu of rocking a natural do so that they can more aesthetically be pleasing to society's discerning and often judgmental eye. There was so much uproar about this that it created a movement, a social uprising of sorts, that then created the pathway for the establishment of federal legislation known as the Crown Act. The Crown Act bans hair discrimination including discrimination against natural black hair. Specifically, the bill prohibits this type of discrimination against those participating in federally assisted programs, housing programs, public accommodations, as well as employment. And if you think it sounds crazy to be discriminated against, to be rejected by society because of your natural hair, trust me when I say you're not alone. But even in that, I promise you that although anti-hair discrimination has become law, it's very much still happening, formally in the workplace, like places of journalism, as well as informally during discussions of the good hair versus bad hair tropes. Beyond this, there's the often spoken about debate surrounding code switching. For those unfamiliar, code switching concerns the ways in which a person usually a member of an underrepresented group like a minority, either consciously or unconsciously adjust their language, grammatical structure, behavior, and appearance to fit into the more dominant culture within which they are then interacting. Personally, I would expand this definition to say that code switching can also happen when someone um, with a more ethnic sounding name either elects to go by a seemingly more appropriate middle name or shorten their first name to something that sounds more societally acceptable. Some argue that this is a necessary evil if people of color want to get ahead. Others would say that it is hurting us more than helping us. Truthfully, in my younger days in particular, I myself have done it, and I can't really offer whether it hurt or helped me in the long run if only because I happen to have what I guess would be a more societally neutral name than those who may be called Mercedes or Lexus. 
To be clear though, I'm not at all saying that either of those names are unacceptable. Name your kids whatever you want. Just know that there does come a potential social burden depending on the route you go. And the weight of that burden can lead one down a deep, unending rabbit hole of challenged self-acceptance given the potential for the wrong social experiences at the right time. So reflecting on this and the resulting identity tug of war, I'd say we all have some real choices to make, self-acceptance being primary among them. And we have to make these choices every single day of our lives. Then as it pertains to the choices themselves, who and what are we really showing society? And is that a depiction of our authentic self or some crazy remixed version of who we think we're supposed to be? Are we wearing, i.e. hiding behind a mask, hoping to never get a crack in the veneer? Are we imitating what we see without really understanding the messaging we're putting out into the world and the consequence of that for ourselves and those who happen to be in our circles of influence and may well be watching us? Especially when faced with the wild popularity of all things social media where keyboard vigilantes and posers alike They seem to flourish and leave little room for unquestionable authenticity. On the surface, it looks like everyone is living their best life. But I wonder, if we were able to peek inside these people's lives, would we instead find that they are living their best lie? So what is the cost of faking it till you make it? As children of the Most High, we are wonderfully made by God in his image. So I think that trying to be anything other than who he made us to be is both disrespectful to him and dismissive of ourselves, but I digress. Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde said, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. I'm sure, or at least I think Wilde mostly meant well, but as I consider the consequential impact of this this quote, there is so much more being communicated to the reader beyond the words in the quote itself. Some very specific thoughts come to mind. The biggest question being, who gets to decide the representation of greatness versus that of mediocrity? And in imitating someone else, what does that say about who we were before that imitation began? And why is that version not acceptable? Or how much imitation is too much? Is it when I've gone so far that I no longer recognize my original self? What then? While I certainly don't have all the answers, I would guess that it's a matter of knowing who you are versus who you're not and understanding how you arrived at that place of designation. Was it through courageous conversations to help build your self-awareness? Did it happen because of some ridicule? that then created a personality and identity rebellion, intentional consideration and planning to be quote unquote on brand, or was it something else? Oh, and is who you think you are allowing your light to shine without sacrificing self-respect and character? Are you fully living if who you quote unquote are isn't really you? Reaching beyond all of these questions, I have to be honest and share also that in my younger years, I was absolutely of the mindset to fake it until you make it. Yet as I've gotten older and become a parent, I see the idea of that so very differently now because I understand the risk of it. 
I understand that our children are having a hard enough time figuring out who they want to be, let alone who they are. And in some instances, just that challenge alone is wreaking some real emotional havoc. And there are countless adults also being plagued by this same issue. So as a result, doing anything that conflicts with standing in my truth and living authentically is a no for me. I instead choose to do as Mitch Album, author of Tuesdays with Maury, once said, accept who you are and revel in it. And you, each and every one of you listening right now, gets to choose whether you do the same. For me, the only thing I would add is that in reveling in who I am, I'm also leaving room for the growth that is a natural part of living so that I can do as Maya Angelou said, live and thrive with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. By the way, I think living authentically actually begins with compassion for self, in addition to that which we extend to others, so that in grace, we can keep putting one foot in front of the other as we endeavor to not only make it, but to do so beautifully, triumphant, and purposefully as God intended. That's my pursuit, and I wish the same for you. This has been Healing for Your Thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, remember to live well and with intention. All my best, Charlie.